Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this afternoon to the book of Proverbs chapter 3, and I would direct your attention to verses 5 and 6. We are taking a break from our exposition of the prophecy of Isaiah and coming to chapter 13. We're actually coming to a, a whole new section of that book, but we are led to draw aside this afternoon and to consider with the Lord's help these words from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, very familiar words, words which many of you will have memorized. Some of us as children were taught to memorize, and for good reason. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In our lives, two worlds, two discrete worlds, constantly converge. So there is, first of all, the world outside of us, right? Everything that is swirling around us and, and impacting us, the world at large outside of us. But then secondly, there is the world inside of us, right? The, the universe, as it were, of all of that internal motion that's taking place inside our persons, inside our, our souls, which is in fact independent, though related to the outside world. These two worlds are constantly converging and even at times clashing, but the fulcrum between these two worlds is the mind. It is the mind, because with the mind, we can look both directions. We can look out into the outside world and all that's happening there, and with the mind, we can look inside and all that is happening there. And so it's really no wonder that the mind or the heart um, in the scriptures is so often described as the chief battleground on which spiritual warfare is waged. It's no wonder that that is the case given its place and consequently its, its importance. Well, we turn here in Proverbs chapter 3 to verses 5 and 6, and in this text we read about the heart, we read about our understanding, and we read about the influence that those things have upon our, the direction of our life as a whole, specifically the direction of, of our life. The book of Proverbs, as we heard recently in a sermon on Proverbs within the last month or so, is the book of wisdom. It's the book that sets forth Christ as the wisdom of God in whom are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is to be seen in every part and parcel of this book. It's not just reduced to a, a handy uh, compendium of moral lessons and so on, but it's also a way in which we're instructed on how to apply discerningly and faithfully the law of God, moral law, uh, to the the length and breadth of, of our lives. And both of those things come to the fore in, in this book. In our text, it says, trust in the Lord, in Jehovah, in the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed, with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. This is a call to lean. Not to lean on ourselves, not to lean on our own minds, not to lean on our own understanding, but rather to lean on the Lord. And that in leaning upon the Lord, trusting in Jehovah, the Lord will indeed lead us in a safe path. As we lean on him, he will lead us in a safe path. The title of the sermon is Where to Lean, right? This is what's being answered in these couple of verses, where to lean. 
So where to lean and really how to lean, because the question immediately comes, well, what, what does that look like to, to lean on the Lord so that he's leading us in all of our ways? How do we lean upon Christ with our whole being? So all of this is set before us and more in these two verses. Well, notice uh, three things. First of all, in reference to leaning upon the Lord, we're to do so, first of all, with all our heart. So first of all, with all our heart, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Trust in the Lord, in Jehovah, in Christ. Notice here, faith comes first. It's impossible to reinforce and emphasize this frequently, uh, too frequently, that faith must come first, that we that the, the believer begins by fixing his or her gaze on a clear sight of the Lord. We've often heard this and seen this from various portions of Scripture, to direct our gaze to the Lord. Because the temptation, no matter how often we hear it, the temptation is to direct our gaze to our feet first. We want answers we want to know, what am I supposed to do? What is the practical solution to X, Y, and Z? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to walk? And a million other practical questions. People come to the Bible and say, or they come to the preaching of God's Word and say, give me the practical details of what I'm supposed to do. But the Lord says no. And if we could merely get this in our hearts and minds, it would make all of the difference that we are to be first gazing on a clear sight of the Lord because we often fail to see him and to see him as he is in all of his glory. Trust in the Lord. Faith comes first. And it's a comprehensive confidence, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. So there's, there's comprehensive confidence and dependence upon the Lord. All thine heart or mind. So not, not partially, not, not a part of it, not sometimes or most of the time, but with all of thy heart, to transfer the full weight of everything onto the Lord himself. Everything and all of the weight of who we are is transferred onto the Lord himself. And this is where we stumble because we don't see that faith comes first. We, we stumble at this first, this first step. And, and as a result, we, we fail in what follows in verses 5 and 6. You say, okay, well, why? Why is it that we stumble at this first step? Why do we trip up here? Why, why do we often run out and get this wrong and not begin where the Lord sets the beginning for us? Well, the answer is actually given to us in verse 5. And lean not unto thine own understanding. How is it that we are so often deterred from beginning with a sight of Christ? It's because of our inclination to lean on our own understanding. That's why. That's how we are so often deterred, right? So there's a contrast, leaning on the Lord, trust in the Lord, and leaning on ourselves or leaning on our own understanding. You have the contrast between trusting in him with all our heart and our own understanding, right? These things are set in juxtaposition to, to one another. And it, if, you, if you see that, you recognize in the second part of this verse, there's this tendency toward a divided focus. Rather than fixing our gaze upon Christ first, taking in the sight of him, of his glory, thinking and soaking and all that, that he is, we end up with a divided, a divided focus. And that means that our trust is half-hearted. Rather than trusting in the Lord with all of our heart, when we lean on our understanding, we're half-hearted. We're, we're depending on the Lord, partially, and we are depending in more or less measure on what we think, our own understanding depending on what we see ourselves, what we think, not with all of our heart. If you skip down to verse five, uh, 7, this is reinforced. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Be not wise in thine own eyes. 
you think most people would think of themselves as relatively humble that that you know we we recognize our limitations we're finite we've gotten things wrong we have sense and so on and so forth but at the end of the day we're less humble than we think we think that we see clearly we think we've got things sorted and we we think that our understanding is sound and we can be wise in our own eyes so that whether there's a spiritual film on the top of it or not, we're considering ourselves to have an adequate grasp. And he's saying, no, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not depend upon what you think or what you see or your assessment or your alleged discernment or your grasp. He's saying we're to trust in the Lord. We're to put wholehearted confidence in him. Trusting in the Lord means trusting his word. It means trusting his promises. Everyone is going to affirm, of course, this is the word of God. It's an inspired book, you know, book of God. And the promises are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must trust the promises. But we don't. We clearly do not do so. So often, the Lord will give us clear insight and clear instruction about what he's pledged to be and do for us. And we, if truth be told, doubt it. We doubt it in particular areas of our life where we say, not self-consciously, but underneath we're saying, in this area, I can't see it. And because I can't see it, leaning on my own understanding, I don't believe it. I don't believe the Lord's going to deliver in the way that he says he's going to deliver. I don't believe that the good that he's promised will actually come out of all of the things that in providence he's doing. I don't believe at the end of the day that I can trust him with this particular area or that particular area of our life. But you see, trusting the Lord, trusting his word, trusting his promises is absolutely incompatible with trusting in your own mind, in your own thinking, in your own reason, in your ability to see, in your ability to discern. You can't lean on both. Children, you get this. You can't lean in two directions at once. If you lean to the left, you can't lean to the right at the same time. And if you're leaning forward, you can't lean backward at the same time. Right? That's easy enough to see. You cannot lean on the Lord and lean on your own understanding. They're incompatible with, with one another. It's all or nothing. The Lord has to be everything and have everything or nothing. We're to be leaning on him with our whole heart. It's interesting that when we, we think of this, turning to the, we think of trusting in the Lord. We, we think of looking to the Lord and we think to ourselves, um, yeah, we're turning, right? So we're turning our gaze, we're turning our heart, we're turning our souls, we're turning even our bodies, we're turning our persons toward the Lord. But when we trust in the Lord, it's actually... It's actually expressed in terms of our confidence that he will turn toward us. So you look, for example, at Psalm 86, verse 16. Oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Now, we're, we're accustomed to the other way, to thinking of this in the opposite direction. You know, we think of... Jeremiah 31, you know, turn thou me and I shall be turned, asking the Lord to turn us toward him. Or we think of Psalm 80, turn, uh, turn unto us again, uh, Lord God of hosts, upon us vouchsafe thy countenance may shine, and so on. Right? That again is, is this idea of turning. So we, we have this concept in our, in our thoughts. What's, what's interesting in Psalm 86 is how the emphasis is on the Lord turning to us. You get the same thing in Psalm 25, 
verse 16, you get it in Psalm 69, verse 16, so it shouldn't be unfamiliar to us. And you'll notice that it's connected with mercy in all of the places, or at least most of them, in which this concept of the Lord turning to us is mentioned. It's always with connection to mercy and have mercy upon me. Remember, mercy is the answer to our misery, right? Sin and misery come together. Grace, if you will, addresses our sin. Mercy addresses our misery. And so in the midst of all of our misery, we're saying, Lord, turn to us, visit us with mercy. And the grounds for this are in who God is. So you're, you, hopefully you're seeing how all of this ties into trusting in the Lord with all of our, our hearts. If you notice in Psalm 86, verse 15, the verse that comes right before it, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth, O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give strength to, to thy servant. And so trusting in the Lord is this confidence that God will in fact turn toward us and that his countenance will be lifted up upon us and that he who is the God of goodness and mercy will visit us with, with mercy. That he'll give us strength, as verse 16 in Psalm 86 says. And give, that's grace, give thy strength unto thy servant. Not just strengthen me, but give thy strength so that God's strength is given to us. So that we are the possessors of the strength of God himself, so that in, the, in all of the, the weakness that we have and feel, that ineptitude and, and, and so on, all of that is met with divine omnipotence. God is coming, and in his power, his omnipotence, his invincibility is being manifest, his own, in our own weakness. So this is trusting within the Lord with, with all of our hearts. We are his servants after all, not strangers to him. Indeed, he calls us the apple of his eye and so on. So this leaning begins with leaning upon the Lord with all, all of our hearts. And the application is manifold. First of all, the application comes to those who, who are unconverted. Because those of you who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, young and old alike, you have two things that come to you simultaneously. You have God's message. So God speaks from heaven through his word, through the preaching of his word. God comes and sets himself before you in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God comes with the good news, the message of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And simultaneously, you have the siren in your ear of the world's message. And the world's message comes along, and it contradicts God's message. You see it from the very beginning in the garden. God gives his instructions to Adam and Eve. Devil comes along, hath God said. Immediately begins to question and undermine the word of God. So the world's message comes, and it says, look at us. Look, look. Look at all that can be had. Look at all that can be done. Look at all that can be enjoyed. You know, look at what matters. Look at what people really value. Look at the success and how it's how it's defined in the world at large. Look at all that is set before you. You know, all of these things are open for your pursuit and so on. And indulge your sinful pleasures. And don't worry about what comes as a consequence of that. Look at what is important and significant in history and look at what's important in terms of your own satisfaction and happiness and so on and so forth. So you have God's message and you have the world's message. And left to yourselves, the default position is to adopt the world's message. That's the message which is actually echoing in your own soul outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this text is coming and saying, it's saying to you who are unconverted, trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. You think you see when you are blind as a bat. You can't see anything or know anything. Or, or, or discern anything of, of any importance. The only solution is to abandon your irrational, foolish, 
rebellious inclinations and the resonance that you, that you have to the world's message. Listen to what God says. Listen to what God has declared. Listen to what he has said about who you are and what matters in history and what's significant in the world and the nature of time and eternity, the, 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 the invaluable nature of your own soul, the glory of Christ, his salvation, the cross, all the joy and pleasure that is to be had in him, both in time and eternity. You're to listen and trust in the Lord, not by nodding at it. When you hear the minister preaching the gospel, well, yeah, we nod at that. Sure, we can affirm that. And then embrace all the other things that you're hearing. With all thine heart. It is all or nothing. You cannot have both. You have to reject the one in order to maintain the other. That goes both directions. The problem is you think to yourself, okay, we have God's message. We have the world's message. I get to decide. What imbecility this is. I get to decide. As if, as if you are the one. Who, who holds the reins and the power and so on and so forth. Oh, that God by the Holy Spirit would tear this from your heads and hearts, that he would expose it for what it is. You get to decide no a thousand times no. Death is yours by right. Eternal death is yours by right. You're getting eternal death. And you have no say in the matter. And if you did, you would add your amen to it. Truth be told. God is the one that we must hear. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. But this is equally true for the Christian. It's not just those outside of Jesus Christ. Those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And who are in a sound and saving knowledge of Christ in a converted state, this is your message all your days. Because while delivered from the power of sin and the dominion of sin, the presence of sin persists and there's the temptations and entanglements and diversions and distractions which assail us, that seek to dupe us. And so the Lord's coming, he's saying, you have to you know, you think back to Greek mythology, the sirens are blowing, right? and there's this temptation to steer the ship in the direction, which is in the direction of death and destruction and so on. We're to stay the course according to the map that God has given to us in his, his holy word. And it means, it means coming to terms with the fact that, that Lord, I'm going to indeed, by grace, through the Spirit, trust with all my heart. And all of those oh, enticing and tempting and irresistible temptations to lean upon my own understanding, which we battle day in and day out, Lord, by grace, kill these things. Enable me to transfer the full weight to Christ himself. We'll see more what this means. Secondly, we're to lean on him in all our ways. So verse 6, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. In all thy ways. So trusting him leads to then acknowledging him. Acknowledging him, as it says, in all our ways. Why is that important? Because we can be incredibly selective We can be recognizing and affirming and esteeming Christ in some of our ways. That's easy enough to do it in some of our ways. But truth be told, we want to hold on to other areas. Indeed, sometimes they are the areas that we're most concerned about. The areas in our life we're most concerned about are the ones that we are very selective about holding on to ourselves. 
And I'm not going to fill in the blank for you, because as you're under the ministry of God's word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he's going to bring to your own mind exactly what that is. There are things, my dear Christian friend, in your life that you have brought up to the house of God this afternoon and sat down in the pew under the word of God that you have brought with you and your knuckles are white, gripping them in your pocket. And you're saying, well, there are these areas I'm going to, I must, I must hold on to, I must maintain some sense of control. I mean, to, to lose that, I mean, it feels like everything would blow into a million pieces and scatter to the ends of the universe and so on. There's this sense of security and this sense of fearing that we must squeeze or lose. Well, it is especially in those areas that God is bringing his word to you. It is especially in those areas. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. In all thy ways. In the areas where we feel most vulnerable, where we feel unpersuadable, that the things that have happened and are happening or may happen can in any way turn out in a way that would be satisfactory to us in the way that we would define good. The Lord is the leader in all of your life. He is right. He is wise. He is good. And we are not. We're not right. We're not wise. We're not good. And we're not powerful. These things flow together. Trusting in the Lord with all of our heart leads to acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways. From all of our heart to all of our ways, these things flow together and must flow together. The Lord promises us that he will withhold no good thing from us those who walk uprightly. No good thing. That is humanly impossible to believe. No good thing. All of the things that we see and face and feel and so on in our lives and in our circumstances and so on. The Lord is saying not a single one, not the smallest one, not anyone. I will withhold none, no good thing from my people. Is it safe to trust him with everything? Is it safe to acknowledge him in all of our ways? And is the Lord actually enough? Is he enough to trust him and to trust him alone and to trust only him and all of him and nothing but him? Is that enough? Because for, for many of you, it feels like giving up. To, to let go, to commit to the Lord, to acknowledge the Lord, to trust the Lord. It feels a lot like giving up. But it's not. The Lord says it is giving it to Christ. <laughs> In fact, it's the exact opposite. We feel like it's giving up. By releasing and giving and committing all to the Lord. And it's giving to Christ, which actually means that it's the opposite of giving up. We're committing it to the one whose hands and arms are infinitely powerful and good. It's the safest place anything in our life can be put. 
you say, well, there's th these things could be, and they, they should be, you know, they could be this, and they should be that, and so on and so forth, and, you know, things aren't right, and whatever, and, and so we've got to, you know, we've got to think about these things, work hard on these things, and so on and so forth. The Lord orders things according to his own infinite wisdom. There is so much that is not in our control. In fact, there's nothing in our control at the end of the day. We feel as if there are certain things in our control, and in a sense, you know, there are certain things that are within our, 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 our field of responsibility. But we're not happy with that. We want to control all of the things we can't control that aren't even within our field of, of responsibility. And so we, we end up um, burning inside and out our life with those things that are actually never within reach of things that we can control. Trusting in the Lord and acknowledging in, them all, in all of our ways is coming to grips with the fact that all of those things and everything else are inside his field of control and responsibility. We take responsibility for things and make a hash of it sometimes. Right? We, we fumble and we, we make disaster out of things at times. He never, ever, ever does. Everything within his sovereign grip is perfect. He does all things well. And when he comes to us and he, he sets about to kill things in us, he kills things in us without actually killing us. But when he, when, he, when he kills things in us, he only kills what must die. He never kills what is good. He only kills what must die. What, if you are a believer, you want to die. The things that you actually want to die. And so trusting in him with all of our heart, acknowledging him in all of our ways, embraces that. When the Lord comes to kill what must die, we embrace it. We embrace it in submission to the Lord. Not just accept it, not just tolerate it, not just forbear with it. We embrace it as from the Lord himself. The problem is, because we're not acknowledging him in all of our ways, but only selectively in some of our ways, we, the, the believer loses sight. You lose sight of what you really want. Another reason not to lean on your understanding. You lose sight of what you really want. Because the work of God's grace and giving you a new heart and planting his grace in you and filling you with the Holy Spirit and, and leading you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God puts in you a want that comes from him. When you lose sight of what you really want, you're losing sight of what alone matters, the only stuff that matters in time and in eternity. And so you become blinded, blinded by a blurred vision because of your preoccupation with the things you think you want, with the immediate so-called needs that you say that you have. Your vision becomes blurred by a preoccupation with this when the fact is that if the Lord gave you it, you would worship it like an idol. So he's not giving it to you. He kills what must die. We're to acknowledge him in all of our ways. Wanting, as I've said, I think recently, wanting what God wants. The beautiful thing about coming to want what God wants is that you always get it. When you want what God wants, then you'll get what God wants, which, as I've said, is what you want. Try to save your life, you're going to lose it. You lose your life for Christ's sake, you will find it. You'll be given it. 
in all of its fullness and in all of its depths and in all of its riches. Hear me, my friends. These are important matters. These are weighty matters. They're matters that the Lord is speaking into your soul, I am sure. And there are things in us that want to raise up barriers. We want to create space. We want to, we're tempted to, to, to hold things in retention for a little and not go there. And the Lord is coming in his word with a hammer to break down all those barriers. He's coming in his word this afternoon to seize you, to lay hold of you, in order that he might bring you to light in life, to bring you to himself, to the blessings that come in him. Thirdly, so we lean upon the Lord by doing so with all of our heart, trusting him. We do it by all of our ways, acknowledging him. Thirdly, he will direct all of our paths. He will direct all of our paths. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. The text does not say, he can direct thy paths. He may direct thy paths. He possibly will direct thy paths. The text says, he shall direct thy paths. Confidence in the Lord, trust in the Lord, acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways is never misplaced. Never misplaced. We can begin right here in November 2023 and go back day by day, week by week, century by century to the beginning of time, 6,000 years ago in the garden, you know, with, with Adam. There is not a single soul in the history of the world that has ever ventured out to trust the Lord with all their heart, to acknowledge him in all their ways and discovered it was to their harm. It's never misplaced. It is always safe. It is always well-grounded. The only safe action is to transfer the full weight onto the Lord himself. And he comes to us to assure us he will not fail. He won't. He never has. He never will because he never can. He will not fail. He will steer and he will guide and he will rule and overrule and he will direct every one of your steps. You think about walking from here to Simpsonville. How many steps would that be? I have not a clue. The Lord is saying, I'm not just going to set you in the right direction and kind of point you there and keep you on. The, I will direct all of your, he's going to direct our steps, right? Our paths. And so that every step is upheld by the Lord. You think of Psalm 32 verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. This is the Lord's pledge to us. This is, this is the fruit of being led by him rather than led by ourselves. We follow him and he leads us. And, in the, and, and as a consequence, his path becomes our path. We're running in his path. And those paths are always paths of peace and of pleasure and of spiritual prosperity. Why? He shall direct thy paths. All of these paths lead us to himself. We begin where we, we end where we, where, where we began. Faith comes first. Sight of Christ before what we, where we go and what we do. It leads us to himself. His paths lead to himself, to his kingdom, to his glory, which is our highest good. The highest good imaginable, Psalm, 40, uh, Psalm 84. 
verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. There's our destination. They lead us to the Lord himself. Think of how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Very striking words. People will write them on their walls and so on. Understandably, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. If you're walking according to your understanding, you're in trouble because no eye has seen and no ear has heard the kind of things that the Lord leads his people to. You think of all that this means, right? The context here, Paul's talking about worldly wisdom, right? You go back to verse 1, 4, 5, 6, 8, and so on. He's talking about the wisdom of, of this world. And he's saying, yeah, I'm not preaching that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'm not pitching that. He says, no, the believer has a different wisdom. They have the wisdom of God. And so it's, it's actually seeing what the world can't see through trust in the Lord and acknowledging the Lord. We're led by the Lord. And so he says, no one's seen. It's not even entered into the heart, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So the big question for all of us is what things? What are the things he has prepared? It's interesting because you look around, right? It speaks in verse 10, the verse after, it, it speaks of them as the deep things of God. In verse 11, they're spoken of as the things of, of God. Verse 12, they're spoken of as the things that are freely given to us of God. In verses 13 and 14, it speaks of uh, the things which are from God by the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit teacheth. These are the things of God. So go back to verse 1, the testimony of God or the wisdom of God and a mystery in verses 6 and 7. Right? These are the things that are being spoken of. And he says, as it is written, I suppose the first question should have been, where is it written? Isaiah 64, verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. There it's described as waiting for him. Here it's described in 1 Corinthians as those who love him. The two are actually uh, interconnected. Waiting for the Lord and loving the Lord are actually woven together. But if you come back to the, the passage, the things the Lord prepares. So we're in Proverbs, we're thinking about the fact that he will direct our paths. Where, what are those paths? Where do they lead? Where are they going? What do they deliver? And so on. We're told by Paul, it'll blow your mind. You never thought of it. You never seen it. You never even dreamed it. You couldn't come up with it. That's where it's all going. These are the things that the Lord's prepared for his people. They're unseen by men. It's ultimately speaking of heaven and glory, isn't it? Remember the words of our Lord, Matthew 25, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You think of the language that you have in James chapter 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world? rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised or prepared to them that love him. You have the same thing in Psalm 31, verse 19, and Paul's, some of Paul's last words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Lord is speaking here of glory, of, of heaven itself. Indeed, in verse 7, it says, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. 
That's what's in view here. The best picture, one of my favorite pictures, as, you've, as you know, is drawn from the days of Solomon. The Queen of Sheba comes. She's from the east. She's from far, far away. And she's, she's come. She takes it all in. She appears before Solomon. She sees his servants. She sees his house. She sees the house of the Lord. She observes all the things. She listens to the kinds of things that he says and so on and so forth. And the passage says in both Kings and Chronicles that when she saw all these things, it took her spirit away. In the, in the Hebrew, it's the, the word for breath. Right? We would say it took her breath away to see everything. And she says to Solomon, you know, when I was in my far country, I heard all these things about you. And I heard all these things about your kingdom. And now I've come. And the half was not told me. It so far excels and surpasses everything I had dreamed of. A greater than Solomon is here. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. And on the last day, when we appear and see him, who so far excels any other, Solomon and everyone else, and his kingdom and his servants and his angels and his redeemed and everything else that belongs to him, it will take your breath away. And you will say to our Lord, I heard a great deal about you in a far country. I sat under thousands of sermons where you were set before me. I read the word of God back to front over and over. I sang all of your psalms end to end. The half was not told me. The Lord will direct your paths in this world, in your present circumstances. If you will lean, he will lead. And he will lead step by step, day by day, hour by hour. And he will uphold and sustain and he will bring down tokens from heaven. And he will litter the path with more blessings than you can collect and gather or number. And he will show himself good. And he will never betray your trust. And he will confirm that his goodness and mercy are indeed pursuing you all the days of your life. And all the way following him, you will end up seeing what no eye could see. You look, you wait, you love. And the day is coming when that path will meet, will finally reach its destination. And it will all be absorbed in him. And there will be no regrets. No more second guessing. No more sense of loss. Instead, we'll say, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Thou hast done me no harm. All good. Indeed, given to me above and beyond all that my mind could ask or think. Isn't this how Christ lived? You know, there in... Hebrews 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Right? He lived with the joy. He kept it set before him. And it was by that means, the, the, the joy that was to come, the joy in his Father, the joy of his redeemed people, the joy of glory, that joy was set before him, and he endured and endured and endured like no other the cross and everything else that comes with it. That was the mind of Christ. And in that passage in 1 Corinthians 2, which I've just cited from verse 9, in verse 16 it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that ye may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That mind of Christ belongs to the Lord's people. We are to have his mind. We are to think his thoughts. We are to acknowledge his ways. 
in all of his dealings with us. Right? Tr leaning upon the Lord, all of our heart trusting in him. Leaning upon the Lord in all of our, our ways, acknowledging him. With the pledge, he shall direct thy paths. All of them. It will be for his glory chiefly. And it will be for our everlasting good. My friends, we have many, 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 many struggles. These things are very easy to speak about in one sense. Very easy for us to affirm in one sense. But when you go home and lie down on your head on the pillow tonight, or when you roll out of bed in the morning, and you're facing whatever it is that's in front of you, it's another matter. Oh, that God would take these things by his spirit and plant them deeply, deeply into our souls. They would mold us and shape us, enabling us to say, Lord, I'll hold nothing back. I'm not going to keep anything. I'm going to trust the Lord with everything and with all that is within me. I'm going to acknowledge the Lord in the next step. And in five steps after that, and in the steps that lie ahead, tomorrow and the next day and so on, because we are certain that he will indeed direct our paths. Let's stand together for prayer. O Lord, our God, the God who is good and gracious, Lord, thou art full of more goodness and grace and love and bounty than we have ever seen ever known, ever acknowledged. Shame he be heaped upon shame for us, O Lord, for all of the ways in which we've doubted it. Born fools, have mercy upon us and forgive us, O Lord, for the ways in which we have trusted with a half heart, ways in which we have acknowledged thee in some of our ways and kept others. Give us, O Lord, that the way would be set before us grace given to us, and do, we pray, direct our paths to the glory of thine own great name, for we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.